This is the Blackout Podcast. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much for so, having me. Ashley, we met when we walked on the poem for the Lunenberg Dog Fest. Uh, that was a great experience. Yeah. And I, I remember I reaching out to you. I'm like, oh, by the way, I have this thing. I don't know you from anywhere, but people were talking about you. And um, the thing, the poem that actually made me contact you was one you did at the parade. It was like for LGBTQI thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't remember what it was for. But I was like, oh, shit, I want this person. So I reached out to you and I was hoping you'd say yes. And then you said yes. And... and <clears throat> You have this thing where I notice most creative people have where they feel like, ah, you know, I don't feel I'm the right person. And I was thinking, is she serious? (laughs) (laughs) Because the poem you gave me, oh my God, it was beautiful. And the performance at the festival, hmm, it was like just icing on the cake thanks thanks you know i've actually not thanked you in person since we did that so thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure so um god damn you do a lot of things a lot of things so i know you're studying mm-hmm. i know your mom i know you recently got engaged i know uh you like you're all about prison reform and justice and you're all about lit you do a lot how do you make all that work (laughs) that's a good question i don't even know the answer to that um i don't like to be bored i don't like downtime so i feel like i always have to be doing something so of course like i have my nine to five job where i really have made sure that the work i'm doing in my career is something i'm passionate about so it's fulfilling and i enjoy doing it um but then i never feel like it's enough so i'm always you know looking for that next project or looking for something else to do and and of course i'm a mom so you know you don't get to choose (laughs) you don't get to choose that life (laughs) Um, you know, I have to take care of my family and my daughter. So I always find time for that. But, you know, my daughter's amazing. She's always right by my side with whatever I'm doing. So like, she knows my university, like the back of her hand, she could give people tours because she she knows. (laughs) <laughs> she she knows her way around there. She sat in on women's studies classes. And so yeah. we're just really close. We have a close relationship. And so, like, she's able to be flexible. And, and that's how I make things happen. I, I didn't bring up the superstar of your Instagram, actually. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How long, how long have you had him? Jackson is two. Mm. Um, so we got him from Toronto a few years ago. He was a gift for my daughter. Oh. And um, of course, he has like imprinted on me. Like he chose me as his favorite. So mm. even though I bought him for my daughter, he's always right by my side. He's always wants to be on my lap. And when I'm not home, he's whining for me. So he's my <laughs> little he's my little best friend. Yeah, like he takes the best pictures though. And he's comfortable all the time. He's so photogenic. Yeah. <laughs> He's handsome. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It's almost like his pictures go up in the morning and I'm like, I have to go to work. And this guy, is just a, I don't know how you feel, but I swear to God, I feel like that all the time. I know. <laughs> I get out of bed and he just lays there and watches me like, your life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how did you get into poetry? 
Um, so I, I had moved back to Halifax and started working, um, in social services. So I was working in a women's shelter and a women's halfway house and, um, just trying to get to know the community again. I mean, I was from Halifax, but I had been gone for a long time. So I was trying to get to know my community. Where did you move to? I was in Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. For work? Or? Um, I That's where I had my daughter. Okay, so okay. that's where I was living um, at the time. And that's where I went to school originally was in Toronto. Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, back in Halifax and in, in, in this new role um, of supporting women in the community. And I, I mean, I had always been a, a creative writer. I hadn't written poetry specifically, but I always knew that that I was good at expressing myself through through writing because I've always been very shy and introverted, and so that was how I expressed myself. Mm. Um, and so, part of my job um, at Coverdale was to go into the prison in Burnside and to support women. And so, I would meet women in a room, you know, similar to this size, and and we would sit at this table and. I was there to provide support and to help women find resources. But what ended up happening is, um, you know, women just kind of would come to the table and, um, you know, they would tell me their stories. They would tell me their life stories and Mm. and they would cry and we would, you know, grieve together and and we were experiencing all these things. And, you know, it's hard work and it's it's really heavy and emotional. And at the end of the day, um, you know, when you're new to this field, you don't really know what to do with all of those feelings. and, And, you know, it's hard to process it. And I just felt so so angered by what everyone was experiencing Mm -hmm. and so I sat down and and this poem just just kind of came to me you know I had never written a poem like that before I had never performed spoken word poetry before and I just put my hand to paper and and this poem called prison tables came out and Mm -hmm. and so that was you know the first poem I ever really wrote and oh wow it is okay yeah so that's why it's really special to me because it was just you know well when you say that (laughs) it's it's one of your favorite poem I just thought because it's it's super powerful and just it's graphic yeah and I, you know, I didn't know it was the first one. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's been downhill since. <laughs> well, it's 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 special no, to me. This poem. Yeah, I know and... because I, I, I'm kidding. Um, like, how how will you honor your land? It's, it's <clears throat> when I when I want to make a film, it, it always starts with me. To me, I'm weird in that I need to have the title. Uh, when I want to start writing a script, I need a title. Mm-hmm. It could be weird. I might change the title later, but yeah. usually I don't, to be honest. <laughs> if it starts <laughs> with the title, it ends it. So when when you sense without poem, that it just it gripped me. And the things you were saying, uh, like the cadence in your voice, and just it was fun working on that project. I, I, I've had I I like. I try to have fun when I make film, but it was just fun working on that project. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we came up with that. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was kidding with the downhill Each project thing. I do is so different, but that one, it always resonates with me because it's kind of where I got my, my start in spoken word. And that's how I, I found, you know, I found this outlet to sort of voice what my, you know, my feelings, and my emotions and, and to tell a story to people who, you know, I wouldn't normally sit down and tell that story to, but because it's, it's, you know, performed in this very um, artistic way, it um, it gave me that outlet to feel comfortable to do that. So. And w- what was the first time you performed spoken word? 
the first time, so I had written that poem, and the following week was our AGM, our annual general meeting for the organization, and I performed it at the AGM, oh. and uh, everybody cried in the room. Yeah, it's and- it's super powerful. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, it's it, it grips you, and it's... You know, we live in Canada, and Canada is great, right? Uh, we have all this amazing things yeah. but there there's some things we don't know or we know and don't want to talk about and just like what's happening in prisons it's not as bad as some i guess that's the thing you know how you you go to, you compare things and you think oh yeah it's not that bad but it is bad right mm-hmm. but then you be like it's not as bad as those people are having it so we are okay but if we just take it in of itself and we are being subjective about it it's just it's not good what people are experiencing yeah exactly people have this conception that you know canada is this multicultural hub and um you know we're so friendly here and we're so kind and and everything is is all good here when in fact you know there's there's racism there's discrimination and there's poverty and there's you know we have so many problems with prison and, and mass incarceration and, and there's so many issues that people just think, well, you know, Canada is, is, you know, an amazing place to live and to be. But, you know, when you peel away sort of the layers, there's so much going on and so much to talk about and so much work to be done. Uh, when I moved when I moved out here, we lived in Truro for a while. <laughs> and, you know, you don't know because I lived in South Africa. South Africa is another thing on its own. And um, <laughs> there's a prison. It looks amazing from a distance because it's built into a hill, right? But then you realize, actually into a mountain to be, I think, but then you realize why it's built there. It's like, it's way out of town. You, unless I guess if you're into mountain climbing, you really don't have any reason to be there. So we take these people, sure, they did something they weren't supposed to do, but prison is supposed to be for rehabilitating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going to rehabilitate people when you treat them like they're animals in the zoo? So, so like with that, it's like, oh, it's South Africa, you know, they have a bad history. And then I moved here and I, I'm living in Truro. And so there's this woman's prison up there, and yeah. you don't know it's there because it's like, oh, what what is that building over there doing and you know i never knew and i lived there for almost a year and i never knew <sighs> it's it's one of those things where if, if it's not affecting you we really don't care mm-hmm. yeah exactly that's the key with prison people you know it's out of sight out of mind but the interesting thing about the prison in truro is that it's very close to the um the reserve and so when we look at incarceration in, in Nova Scotia, we have an overrepresentation of Indigenous women in our prisons. And then, you know, they literally built a prison right next to a, um, an Indigenous reserve. So it's... Uh... Yeah. yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it grips you because, yeah, yeah, you literally that's a road where you have to drive to that reserve. Yeah, exactly, you're right. I yeah. You see, that's, you don't realize these things until someone points and then it's like, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, that's true. And tell me a little bit about Talk Justice. 
Um, so Talk Justice is a community engagement strategy that started, you know, three or four years ago um, at the Barrister Society. And it was meant to be a way to sort of center the public in um, justice reform. So what's going on in the community? We have an access to justice issue in Nova Scotia. And so instead of, um, you know, just trying to figure out what the issues are, we need to speak to community and, and ask them what the issues are and what are your experiences. And so Talk Justice, you know, it started as a hashtag, hashtag Talk Justice. So it's trying to engage people in the conversation so we, we can understand people's experiences, understand what the barriers are for them um, when it comes to accessing justice or getting justice. Mm. And um, so it's, it's really grown over the years. It started, you know, just as a small sort of uh, research project and now it's, it's really grown and we call it the grown-up version of Talk Justice now. So now we're, <laughs> we're doing um, new projects. We're doing a docu-series with uh, Limia Reddick, who is a community consultant uh, okay. from North Preston. And we're doing, yeah, lots of exciting things, just trying to get people involved and, and um, you know, look at the issues together and try and come up with some solutions together as a community and not just look to the government to make the changes that we want, but how can we um, how can we make some changes on the ground that will be immediate and that will, you know, make it easier for people to navigate the system? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's funny how these days is, is a hashtag. Hashtags are actually, I know there are people that feel or even there are memes where, oh, I'm going to save the world. I'll just tweet a hashtag. But if it's actually getting people to start talking about things, I think there's a power there, you know. Yeah. So I'm not going to knock something that is working. It, at least it's getting things and moving from where they were before, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for that. And and then, um, so what's the what's the justice system like now? What's the reform you think we need? Um, well, what we heard from people through Talk Justice was that there's, you know, racism, discrimination in the system. The judiciary is, is you know, is white people. And so if you're not white and you're in the justice system, how can you... How can you get justice if you don't see yourself reflected in the system? Or, you know, if you're being judged by a jury of your peers, but your peers aren't reflected in that jury. Um, if you are experiencing poverty, well, you know, how can you pay for a lawyer? How can you have adequate representation um, if you can't afford, literally can't afford justice? Mm. Um, so, you know, there's all of these issues that are really rooted in um, in grassroots issues like people not having enough money and and people just not being able to have transportation to even get to the court um so yeah there's just there's so many issues yeah. <laughs> you know, heartbreaking you know dealing with this every day yeah. uh and, and tasking on your mental health and your health how do you yeah. how do you cope i guess um, I mean, I've I found different ways over the years. You know, poetry and spoken word really has been at the root of that. Like I said, it's a way for me to um, to get all of my emotion and anger and sort of this rawness that's in me um, out and, and to, you know, to talk with other people. Um, you know, my family takes care of me. So that's really important as well. And sometimes I'm just not, I'm just not well, like sometimes I just don't take care of myself and my mental health does suffer. And I think that's, you know, something we need to talk about as well. Like, mm. you know, we know what self care is, and we know we need to do it. But 
I don't always do it. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, sometimes I just need to take that time and to, you know, I tr- kind of can recognize like, all right, I'm not well right now. What do I need to do to get myself back there? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always a learning process yeah, every yeah, single time. I, I it's, know what you mean. it's not like a cookie cutter method of like, you know, take a bubble bath or you know, do some <laughs> yoga. Like. Um, and so how old is your daughter? She's nine. So, um, and then uh, how long has your relationship been now? Um, my relationship, uh, has been four years. Oh, okay. Yeah. How did you guys meet? I'm curious. Uh, we met at work. Oh, okay. Um, so we both used to work at the women's shelter together. And so that's where we met. Um, and then I left not long after that to go work, um, for a different organization, but she still works there and mm. she works in housing and homelessness. So yeah, you guys, yeah. I mean, yeah, great, mean, a great match, uh, that it's, it, it's always great when you, uh, with someone that either is doing the same thing or at least understands what you're doing because um, yeah. when you're passionate about something and then you're with someone that doesn't get it, it, it can be tough. Um, but working in women's shelter must just be hectic. You know? yeah. I, I was, well, I was just working on a, or it's still in the pre-production phase, just working on talking to people about this project I'm doing and, and it's just the things that some women have to deal with daily mm-hmm. is, I guess, you know, being a man, you don't even think of it. It's, it's like it doesn't even cross. And then some of those things make it online and then you read it and think, oh, shit, I didn't. Like when you realize how if as a man I can walk out on the street or whatever, I don't need to worry about who is looking at me funny or whatever. I'm just, okay, I'm just taking a stroll. But uh, when I'm, if I'm a woman, I have to think of five different things that could possibly go wrong and and might actually happen. And then you actually f- have to deal with that. Like people that have experienced that happen to them at work, it's just, it's, I can't even imagine it. Yeah, it's it's a lot to you know to be a woman, especially. <laughs> I can't it's imagine. Hard. It. Yeah, I can't imagine it because um, a friend of mine works at a shelter, shelter, and uh, I did some work at a shelter in South Africa, but that was more mm. for like uh, gay people. Yeah. So hmm, so there are some parallels that I understand, but it's just I can't imagine it. So this person was telling me of a woman, right? that pretty much maybe maybe every week is stretching but at least once a month the cops have to come she's bloodied she falls down oh she you know something happens and um she finally managed to make it to a shelter right and then she left you know and then a part of me is like okay but she knows this is happening and she's dealing with all this craziness and all she has to do is leave but then the part of me kind of understands over time now, at least I think the me now is me better than a few years ago. Because I, I understand that land helplessness is just a thing, right? Where you get to the point where, you know, this is my life now and this is what I have to get used to and this is my new normal. Mm-hmm. How does your work help people like that? I don't even know. <laughs> 
I don't even know. I mean, the the thing that's like going on in Halifax right now is is there's um, there's a housing crisis, and so we have all of these you know shelters and services for women, but there's just not there's not enough um, to help people to transition out of shelters. So mm-hmm. women are already experiencing trauma and abuse, and you know the side effects of poverty. Um, you know maybe they're they have issues in the criminal court, maybe they're dealing with family court issues as well. So there's all of these compounding things that are happening in a woman's life. And, mm-hmm. and you know, then they end up um, homeless in a shelter or whether it's a, a homeless shelter or um, a shelter for women afle- who are fleeing abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no... There's no housing strategy. There's nowhere for people to go. So you just kind of get stuck living um, in this pretty precarious situation where you just rely on um, or you just live sort of day to day really is what's happening. And so, you know, all you can do in those situations is just meet people where they're at and and try and, you know, provide them with as much support as you can. But mm-hmm. it's very frustrating when you're a worker and you're trying to help people, but you don't have the tools to help them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it, it weighs really heavily on you. But I do have to say my, my partner was made for this line of work. Like she... <laughs> She's really good at at doing just that, you know, like just helping people to get through those those crises and those tough situations, um, sort of clearing the clouds so that they can, you know, see some light at the end of the tunnel and, and to get them where they need to be. So, oh, man. Yeah, it's, you know, it's great. It's great that we have people like you and all the shelters that do these things. And it's it's actually funny because a lot of buildings are going up in Halifax. So. When you say there's a housing crisis, um, what's happening? Like, can't we just, you know, put up <laughs> one place downtown and put all these people? It's like, that's something that wouldn't happen or... Yeah, when I say housing crisis, I mean affordable housing oh, crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no yeah, shortage yeah, 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 of housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're building all you know, so, you see I mean, them, you see there, Yeah, isn't there something the government or like a body can do yes there is <laughs> <laughs> write write your mp write your prime minister write your politicians like yeah there's there are things that they can do of course um but you know are they doing those things no not necessarily and the other component to it is that you know when you have women who have been living in poverty for so long or who have been criminalized maybe they've been in prison um and you just you know take them out of they become sort of institutionalized so when you take them out of this um support where you know they have care all of the time and then they move out into the community and have their own place and all of a sudden there's no supports Mm. and so what ends up happening is that people end up you know back in prison or back in the shelter and so you know we don't just need affordable housing we need more yeah we need sort of wraparound services so Mm. you know people can continue to can live independently in the community but still have resources available to them so it's such a web of um of issues that so um i I guess in your work you see that most of these women that go through this are traditionally non-white people of color um there i mean there's a mix right mm-hmm. i think um you know what we know is that black and indigenous uh people um 
of all genders are overrepresented in the system. So meaning that based on the percentage of them that are in in society, there's more in mm. prison, mm-hmm. um, but there's a mixture, right? Of course, there's there's white women in prison. There's mm. you know, so but the statistics are showing, you know, there's more black and indigenous people who are being incarcerated, and so you know, why is that? Mm. So you know, it's funny. I mean, I still don't know the legal aspect of this. Mm-hmm. How does I I think aren't indigenous people like? Or is it only the people that stay on the reserve that have their own legal, like an indigenous legal hearing thing when there's a crime that happens? Or then people outside the reserve are like, they actually have to go to uh, courts that aren't indigenous. I'm not sure how how does that work. So in Nova Scotia, I I mean, certainly um, on indigenous land, they have their own practices. Mm. Um but the you know the provincial and federal laws are still um, oh, okay. they still have to attend court gotcha. in a provincial court or federal court whatever okay, it is okay, yeah. Okay. yeah yeah there's a lot of learning to do um okay that got heavy <laughs> <laughs> it tends to happen when i'm around <laughs> so um and tell me about joining the slam team how how did that happen um, so yeah, the slam team, that was really fun. Um, so how it happens in Halifax is you just go to, there's, you know, two slams and, or three slams and you go and whoever sort of makes the cut after each competition, um, makes the team. And so, um, I went to the three slams and I ended up being on the team with some really other fantastic poets. And we went to Peterborough in Ontario and competed, mm-hmm. um, at the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word. So poets from all over Canada come and it's, they call it poet camp because it's just like an intense week of, it's like poet boot camp of mm. just learning um, from all different types of people, learning different styles of poetry and he- hearing, you know, people from all over Canada. And so it was such an amazing experience. It was incredibly draining, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because you're constantly like, you know, ripping your emotions out and putting them on paper and, uh, in you know, everybody else is kind of doing the same thing. So mm. there's, it's very, hot, it's very intense, yeah. uh, but it was a really cool experience and we did pretty good. I mean, we came first place in one of the rounds. Uh, we didn't make it to finals, but we had a lot of fun doing it. And um, so that's not something you really do now because, you know. You really don't have, but is it something you still do? Is it something you want to do again? Um, I think it was one of those experiences that was like, okay, I can check that off my list (laughs) (laughs) of things that I've done. Um, There is an individual competition that happens in Vancouver every year. And I think um, not this year, but maybe next year, I would like to look into going to that um, and just compete as an individual. Yeah. So with the slams, uh, do you have to memorize your your poems or is it like you create it on the spot or you're allowed to read from paper or your phone you can read oh, okay um, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they try and be as you know it's very inclusive so of course not everybody is has the ability to memorize yeah. um not everybody has the ability to read off of paper so it's really what you're comfortable with okay. um the rules are that it has to be three minutes or under mm. um and you can't use any props or anything like that so, okay, so it has to and be, it has do to they be. give a theme or whatever um no it can be whatever you want okay. it to 
to be. So, yeah. And so other than the EGM, have you performed prison tables anywhere else? I've performed that everywhere. <laughs> I want to ask, um, there was, I think it was last year, towards the ending, there was this, coll- I, I couldn't come to it. Uh, so it was a collection of all these amazing poets in Halifax. I can't mm. remember what the event was called. It was like September, October-ish. Okay. How was that? What was that about the the event? What? I don't know. I think event. there's this local um, poet, I can't remember her name, but there were, it was you... This lady that does amazing poetry, and then there were two other people, and it was like uh, just talking about poetry, but then you guys also performed your poems. I know you've been to many of those. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But there was one, I mean, if I remember this lady's name, um, you definitely know it. She's, she was once the, like the Halifax poet person. Was it Elle Jones? Yes, huh? Yes, 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 yes. That one. Um... Yeah, I can't think of what event you're thinking about specifically, but I have performed with Elle a few times. Elle is, you know, she's my teacher and she's my mentor and amazing, amazing person. Um, and I, it's always an honor to perform with Elle because she is, you know, she's done so much for the spoken word scene and for, you know, the social justice scene in Halifax. Yeah. So it's intimidating, but it's always fun to be around her. Yeah, it's, cool. it's just like seeing an older version of you uh, yeah. performing because she's, she's pretty much into the same things you talk about and it's like she does it in in our spoken word too so it's like oh yeah okay okay yeah Yeah. she's um you know i admire her so much she's incredible yeah um and when what do you how often do you write and what's your process when it comes to writing writing for me is something that just it's either there or it's not like I could go a few months and not be able to put anything down on paper. Mm. Um, writing for me, like I said, it's very, it's a very emotional, um, piece of, you know, my identity. And so if I'm feeling something and, you know, I can feel it kind of brewing, then it just comes to me and I'll just, I'll put it down on paper and it just sort of happens like, in one shot it's either there or it's not <laughs> and so <laughs> i'm very good at writing under pressure so uh, <laughs> yeah i remember when we so <laughs> so i told you about this project three months before i was like oh yeah by the way so we had to shoot i think we had to shoot in august because i because the because Lunenberg Dog first was September, and then we I had to have a complete shoot, um, film made because then he had to go get colored, all that cool things that they do at current studios, and then so so I think I told you like June and July, <laughs> actually I think it was like late May, I was like oh and you're like oh sure yeah, and then and then and then I was like okay you know you're you're working family you have a lot of you have a life so this is just something that just happened and it's not like priority right now so i'll reach out for a month right so i let like three four weeks pass and then i was like hey by the way you know this thing is still happening plus i remember it wasn't um before i actually contacted you I wasn't sure I was going to make it because it's like a competition, whatever. And then I got to go ahead and um, I reached out to you right away. I was like, I need to actually, before you even agreed, I was like, I need to tell them that I have my point. And you're like, oh, yeah, sure you can. 
I was like, okay, then I needed you to give me some things. That took a while. <laughs> I got them. And then I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, so I need to write a film based on what you're saying. So I need to at least have an idea. I was like, um, you know what? It's going to happen. I got it like one week before we went to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but but it came together great it was amazing i mean i don't i don't want to say you know I, I okay i don't want to say that we made the best one but i think we made the best one <laughs> i mean <laughs> no because um i was really happy with the way it turned out yeah and the, and the film was great uh oh my god you know it, it's crazy because we all got the same budget and we went crazy we had a drone shot we went all over Lunenburg, and someone had a picture of a baby I was actually, I was actually, I don't want to say I was pissed off because, you know, that's how he interpreted the story and, and whatever. But like, uh, I, I, I've i still not asked other directors what was the reason or like yeah. the story behind their films. But I just felt if the title or the theme was Times and Tide, Lunenberg, you should do something about Lunenberg. Out of the four films, there was only two people that did something with Lunenberg. And then one was just a fucking baby like nothing against babies but jesus come on she was a cute baby yeah okay yeah I, i'll give i'll give the baby that i I'll do give the baby babies that. <laughs> i'll give the baby that but was just a shot of a baby <laughs> that was a film <laughs> that was a shot of a baby oh my god oh but the writer of the default of our poem was was cool and and yeah. when we made that one i was like oh yeah okay we have to make another one and then you give him so now I'm kind of, who is stalling now? Is it me or you? <laughs> That's all you. <laughs> See, you asked you ask me how I survive as a busy person, and and this is it. I I need to like block my time out. So if I say I'm going to do something, yeah. I 100 percent I'm going to do it. But yeah. it's going to be done like <laughs> yeah yeah I know. yeah yeah yeah. But I mean, but I came through in the end. Yeah, and, and it was great. And, and then you know it, it was just watching you there in front of that big screen for fun. I think it was amazing. It was like yeah. a really, really great experience. Yeah. It so was, it was yeah. a good experience for me too. And like, like you knew that I was, you know, I was going through some things at that time as well. I, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I wasn't well. And so to be able to, you know, pull that poem out in that time of, for me, that was just really, really difficult and dark. And, you know, I didn't have anything, um, anything really good happening at that time. And, and that poem, it was really almost healing for me. And, um, and, you know, when you put your artwork out there, you never know what the consequences of it are going to be or who it's going to impact or, Mm. you know, what's going to happen with it. And here we are, you know, months later, we did that project when in the summer. Yeah. And uh, over Christmas, you know, my grandfather was really sick in the hospital. And um, I think we had been talking at that time, but he um, he was dying. And my parents went and he has hard of hearing. And so he doesn't really hear very well. My parents went and bought him this thing that he could put in his ear so that he could hear. And the first thing they did was to show him your film and my poem. Oh, wow. And, you know, there he was on his deathbed and he looked at them and he said, she's going to be all right. 
and and for him to you know he always worried so much about me and for mm-hmm. that that film for him resonated with him and he thought you know like she's she's doing something and she's passionate and mm-hmm. and she's going to be okay and you know he died a few days later so oh, wow. it's just like you know one of those full circle moments where you just yeah. don't know how something is going to impact other people or what impact it's going to have yeah, on the world I didn't know so that, yeah and that's one thing about you like i i mean it's good it's actually great i, I it's something i need to learn you put your life in silos so it's like this thing is happening and just these people will know Mm -hmm. and like you know till you shared this i didn't know i know that you know you have not tough time but i didn't know and while we're working on how will you honor your land i knew you were dealing with something but i didn't know how intense it was it's like it's like you are okay handling everybody's mess just put it on me just put it on me <laughs> but if you have a headache you don't even want to say anything or if you are dealing with the whole world on your shoulder that's when you smile the most i don't know how you do that that's that's amazing yeah it's a work in progress it's like you've mastered that because you still go ahead and do your work you still go ahead and be a mom and your relationship is great and you still do have time to write these things you write it's mm-hmm. it's like I think the thing for me is that, like, relationships are so important to me. Um, So when I make a new relationship, like, we had just met and we were working on this project and, and, you know, I would, I would be on my deathbed and I would still be writing this poem because, you know, I, I care about other people and I, I, you know, I don't want to let other people down, I think is what it comes down to. So, you know, I know when, when I have to say no, Um, Mm. you know, I do have some boundaries in that way, but, Mm. you know, when I'm meeting new people and building new relationships and especially especially because, you know, Andre had introduced us and Andre yeah. is so important to me, such a special person um, in my life. And so, yeah, I just, I, I know when to say no, but I know when I have to just step up and, and just be there for the people that I say I'm going to be there for. Yeah, and you are. Not just me with my film or the poem or your, like with all these women in the prison system. It's, <laughs> yeah. Man, you know the world needs more uh, Ashley's. Really, really, you know, because <laughs> I don't know I'm serious. Um, when here's the thing for me, um, it's easier to take care of your things, or it's easier to do something nice if there's an award at the end, or there's income or something. But these people that you help daily are never really going to be able to give you like some financial reward or something mm-hmm. i don't even know how much you make but i i, I know not that people that exactly like things like that it's like okay you know so 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 it's like you're not doing it for it's you're doing it because it means something to you mm-hmm. yeah. and how did it even start like you know so you went to school in toronto you had the kid you came back and like oh you know what i'm just gonna be a superhero for all the women in jail um i mean i think it happened for a number of reasons but you know it wasn't my first career choice i was in university here in halifax i went to SMU years ago and um i hated it and (laughs) i'm (laughs) i'm the kind of person that i you know i like excitement i like change i like to know that you know i like the busyness of things and so i was really bored with it and so i dropped out and and i packed a bag and i moved to toronto and 
and, uh, you know, quit my job. And, and I landed there and, um, you know, had some really hard experiences there and ended up in a really, um, really violent and abusive situation. And I think that that experience, um, you know, taught me a lot about myself. And when, and then I had my daughter. And when I had my daughter, you know, it really brought me back to, uh, it really grounded me. I was like, okay, I need to do something with my life here. I love this little girl and I need to provide for her and I'm not going to be able to do it, doing what I was doing. Um, and so I went back to school and it just seemed, you know, I was literally just like, what program can I pick? It wasn't, it wasn't like I was like, I want to work with women in prison or I want to, you know, be in social services. I just was looking through the programs and I applied to a few different ones mm-hmm. and, um, and I got accepted to the social services program. And, you know, I believe that that door was supposed to open for me. And so it did. And I took the program and, you know, then that's where sort of I realized that I had all of these skills and um, and I knew sort of what I wanted to do with them and what what field I wanted to be in and, and where I wanted to work. And so it just, you know, it happened very naturally, but it came from a place of mm. of pain and a place of, you know, I have I've had these difficult experiences. And, and this is what I would have needed if, you know, if someone was going to be there for me. And so how can I how can I give that back to the world now? And so. That's kind of how it happened. And I I started working in mental health in Toronto. And then, you know, I wanted to be close to home because I had my daughter and I wanted her to know her family because all my family is here. And so I came back here and um, and then I did end up going back to school um, at the Mount. (laughs) I kicked ass. You're super humble, too, because, man, you're like top of your class. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. Like it was full circle for me because when I was at SMU, um, I hated it. It was just, it didn't, it didn't connect. I didn't connect to it and it didn't connect to any of the people there. Um, It didn't click for me. But I went, when I went to the Mount, it was just like such a welcoming place to be. And and the professors all, you know, they're all very strong, intelligent women. You know, Al Jones was one of my professors and she was so inspiring. Um, all, all of them, like every professor I had, I really built a strong relationship with and, and I enjoyed the material, you know, learning about, um, you know, the oppression of women and, and the history of women. Um, it was just, it was a really fulfilling experience. So I enjoyed it. I liked going to school. I liked doing my assignments and it was connecting so nicely to the work I was doing in the community. So it just made sense. And that's why I'm trying to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So thanks for coming out, but I'm not going to let you go without reading a poem. Come on. Okay. Okay. You gotta, you gotta read something. Okay. All right, so I guess I'll do prison tables. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that I can finally start writing that film. So <laughs> Someday. No, soon. Yeah, soon, <laughs> soon. A woman sits across from me. A table between us, yet only her freedom idles between us. Her emotions start to flow. At first they are slow, but as each memory, disparity, bruise, and injustice surface... The tears fall recklessly down her cheeks as she struggles to find her purpose. She looks across the table and tells me that she feels worthless. Her story it will break your heart, and it is unique to her, but it is the same story that I have heard each time I sit at this table. 
She was a victim of gender violence, racial profiling, discrimination. She grew up surrounded by hate. She is a survivor of rape. She went to school hungry. A child of poverty, a baby girl born into a life designed to place her at the back of the line, so she automatically became a minority and was never given priority. But she is not the mistakes that she has made. She is not a behavior. She is a prisoner in a jail that stretches far beyond the edges of this table. This table represents the obstacles that she has to overcome, but she has been locked up by a life that she can't escape from. See, they put her in general population, tucked away from civilization. She did the crime, and now she must pay her debt back through dead time. But who does the time for the crimes against her? Who feels all the pain that she has had to endure? Is society prepared to disarm and undo the harm and give her the tools to succeed, to conceive a life free from struggle and defeat? Who is able to reconcile a world of betrayal and take back a past that she lays down on this table? See, this isn't a poem just about her and this prison. It is about the inequity of a society that we all live and breathe in. I sit at this table and I know that she is capable. Her spirit unbreakable. All of her hopes and dreams are attainable. She must be given the opportunity to heal from all that trauma that she has never been permitted to feel. She is not just a byproduct of a broken system. She is not just a mental health condition or a woman with an addiction. She is a woman who longs to contribute to a society that has criminalized her and then stigmatized her, yet she is still willing and able to bring herself to this table. She seizes every opportunity to fight for her life despite the fact that we have stripped her of her human rights. The right to a fair chance to put her mistakes behind her and change her circumstance, and we could learn from her resiliency and her tireless efforts to preserve her dignity, but we have kept her in captivity and punished her for her delinquency when she has the ability to become a success story, and so I push down that table and stand up with her in solidarity. We must break down these tables and deconstruct systemic failures, stop handing out life sentences and writing women off as menaces, and take a closer look at the social determinants of these so-called criminal occurrences. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we have to go make that film. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Blackout Podcast. Thanks for listening.